God. Hi. Hi. Hello to you. Hi. Hello. Hello to everybody listening. Hi. Which I'm pretty sure is just you. Yep. The lady across from me. What's up? Who Who is my wife. I'm Joe. I'm Katie. And our last name is collectively Balecki, which is what happens when you marry. Wait, I have a question. Yeah. Is that hyphenated? Collectively Balecki? Is, is there like a hyphen in there? That was a great face you just made. <laughs> <laughs> that was my, that's not funny face. I mean, it was funny. It was my I, I'm not impressed face, I guess. Oh, I'm very impressive. Yes. Katie? Yep. What is this show about? Uh, well, we individually choose movies to make the other individual, so you or me, watch. Then we watch them together. Because we like to make each other watch things that we enjoy. Oh my god. How succinct and wonderful of a response. <laughs> yeah, thanks. As I, mm. So Katie bought me chocolate banana milk. Yeah. And I'm just chugging it all day. <laughs> so it's so good. I'm sure. Here's the thing. Yep. Uh, a little, little, bit of, little, little bit of inside baseball before we get into the show. Okay. Um, so, so you and I have been working out. We sure have. We've we've been trying to get healthier. Mm-hmm. However, you keep buying delicious, unhealthy <laughs> food. <laughs> Name one thing beside the beside the chocolate, the chocolate banana, banana dairy milk. Yes. Uh, there are two pints of ice cream sitting in our Listen, freezer. Listen, they were on clearance for under two dollars yeah. a piece. And one of them is gelato, which yeah. I know isn't really ice cream. No. Look. But we look. We haven't opened them. I know. So. But, but we are planning on eating it after we go to the gym today, after yep. we record this episode. Yep. Thereby just undoing all <laughs> of the undoing, calorie burning. It's rewarding us for sticking with That's it. That's not how that works. <laughs> if, you, if you burn 200 calories at the gym on the treadmill and then come home and eat 500 calories worth of gelato, you're just undoing everything that you've done and then adding another 300 calories onto it. Okay, and <laughs> anyway, I've been cooking you really good food. You have. So I mean, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of really carb-heavy food, though. No, the I baked you, ziti with all the you... breadcrumbs and the pasta noodles. Okay, that was supposed to be for one night, and it has lasted us an entire week. Mm-hmm. Uh, I made you chicken stew with chicken and vegetables. That's yes, healthy, and that that is good. Mm-hmm. That, that that's been delicious mm-hmm. thus far. Yeah. So. Our neighbor up is dying upstairs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, so if there's long periods of, of me not saying anything on the show this episode, it's just because I'm chucking chocolate banana milk. Cool. Which I'm simultaneously very grateful for and upset about. You sounded very intrigued when I first I was intrigued it. because it sounds delicious. So I bought it for you thinking it would make you happy because it did. I'm a good wife. It did make me happy and you are a good wife see this is where the paradox of that comes in though because you're a good wife because you you bought me the drink that is delicious but how good are you being to my desire to to build muscle and lose body fat well here's the thing you could also have a little bit of self-control and not chug it look i got married for like two weeks i got married to you so that i wouldn't have to have self-control well then we might have a you take care of me (laughs) yeah and I love you. It's what it says in the Bible. Since when do you listen to the Bible? That's my only verse. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So what movie did we watch this week? Did we say it? I forgot if you said it. Nope, we didn't. We watched Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Yeah. Yeah. What was it about? Uh, so it was based on The Odyssey by Homer. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this movie, it takes place in the South in the 1930s. I believe I got sort of like a Great Depression feel mm-hmm. from it. Um, and there are three prisoners who escape at the very beginning of the movie Mm -hmm. and they set off in search of the treasure that one of them buried after he robbed a bank um and the that one is played by george clooney i think his name was everett in this movie yes ma'am i said sir because i'm looking at pictures of men okay and by pictures of men i mean the cast of this movie sure (laughs) no you're just looking up ryan gosling pictures right now (laughs) um Anyway, so Everett's sort of like the ringleader here. Um, and they sort of come across characters who are kind of based on the Homer's Odyssey characters. Like there's um, the, oh, the blind prophet mm-hmm. at the beginning who sort of helps them down the railroad after they escape. He tells them something about a cow on a roof and how getting the treasure isn't going to make them happy or something like that. And um, you will not find the treasure you seek. Yeah, something like that. Um, and there's some sirens and a cyclops and a bank robber. And then there's a uh, governor and his opponent who's in the KKK. Uh, yeah, so it's sort of just them trying to get to this treasure coming across some interesting characters along the way. Mm-hmm. It's a very episodic story. Yes, it sure is. Mm-hmm. What was your favorite part of the movie? Um, I... Or, or favorite aspect, even. Uh, well, spoiler alert, I actually really enjoyed this movie. Woo! So, plus one for Joe. They can't all be losers. <laughs> <laughs> um, I... I'm always a sucker for retellings of classic stories. Yeah. Um, so I know at some point I've read or at least read parts of the Odyssey. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just one of those things where it's like, you might not enjoy it very much, but you can tell like this is a good thing, like a good piece of literature or whatever. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a whole other okay. thing. Well, this is my opinion right now. Mm-hmm. So yes, that's fine. Yep, yep, yep. Um, yep, yep, yep. And. <laughs> um. <clears throat> so I liked that it was a more fun retelling of the Odyssey. Um, I liked the characters, although they were all sort of unlikable. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> I liked that there was sort of strange humor kind of sprinkled throughout this movie. Um, I really liked how it looked. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Um, it was. It had sort of, especially in, at the beginning and the end. I noticed, like, the beginning, it had sort of, like, a faded out. Like, it was a weird um, combination of being super bright and also really faded out at the Mm -hmm. beginning. Mm -hmm. And then they did that at the end, too. Mm -hmm. But I never really noticed them switching into normal colors. Mm -hmm. Because the whole middle of the movie was just regular, Mm -hmm. normal. But I still liked how it looked. Um, I liked, um, yeah, like, the costumes were cool. The, um, The sets and things like that those were cool too it all looked very um authentic i suppose um yeah so let's talk about 
you brought up like three things that I wanted to talk about. Cool. So that's, do so that's it. good uh, that we're sort of on the same page discussion wise. So let's talk first about books into movies, specifically classic literature. Okay. Um. So there's there's this obviously there's I mean there's a couple movies I'm sure that are based off of the Odyssey or the Iliad. Mm-hmm. Um in a more like allegorical way like this or in a more like deliberate like we're gonna call the movie the odyssey and they're mm-hmm. gonna be on boats and go to the thing uh and then there's movies like 10 things i hate about you that are modern retellings of shakespeare stories that's what i was just gonna say that's probably one of my favorites is that whole like 90s through like the 2010s like teen movies based on shakespeare Mm -hmm. so good yeah that was a thing and then there were uh, there's not so many of this i think joss whedon did one but there's the the leonardo dicaprio uh romeo plus juliet Mm -hmm. where it takes place in the 80s in like long beach yeah. Or something like that, but all of the dialogue is the same. Yeah, that's Romeo plus Juliet. I really like that one. And then the Joss Whedon one is Much Ado About Nothing. Yeah, yeah. which he just like made in his house for no money with his friends because he was bored. However, I watched that one and turned it off about 20 minutes in because it sucked. <sighs> Joss Whedon isn't as good as we thought he was. I've never really thought he was all that great, mm-hmm. but yeah, like... He's sort of been heralded as, like, oh, he's the best. He's really, like, experimental in characters and stuff like that. He's a feminist. He's so yeah. he's so good. He was ahead of his time. And I was just kind of like, mm-hmm. no. Yeah, he might have been ahead of his time, but he's not timeless. No, yeah, you that's know? true. Like, I bring up the Beatles all the time when we talk about stuff like this. But, like, yeah, so the Beatles were inventive and influential and important for their time. Mm-hmm. And they are fairly irrelevant now to me. Like, if I want to listen to something that sounds like the Beatles, I'll just listen to any indie band or Oasis. <laughs> I think it's sort of like instead of like a musical impact, they've had more of like a cultural impact. I mean, maybe like they sure did make rock music for white people. <laughs> I think it's sort of like musical artists aspire to have the same like power that the Beatles had back in yeah, the day. Yeah, which has just led to scores and scores of crappy pop music artists. Anyway, so the so we've talked about books into movies before. Yes. Um, Joe recently has been a little grumpy about things like remakes, um, unasked for tech. unasked for sequels. Reboots, soft reboots, semi-erect reboots, <laughs> erectile dysfunction reboots, hard reboots. Um, but I've sort of softened my position on that. Have you? Yeah. So here's the thing is that it seems like every couple of decades this happens. I've been watching a lot of YouTube videos about like film history mm-hmm. and whatnot in the 70s. Man, they just remade all the movies that happened in the 50s. Yeah. Um, and then in the 90s, they remade all the movies that happened in the 70s. Yeah, it's not a new thing. Yeah. 
Um, I guess it's just more noticeable because I'm paying attention to it. Same thing with like politics where you're like, this is the worst. This, this is the worst election that's ever been. And you're like, no, this is the first election you've ever paid attention to. Yeah. And so it's scary. Um, except this past election was the worst election ever. Literally the worst in the entire world. <laughs> Hashtag. No, um, not the worst in the entire world. I would like to bring you back to the 50s and take you to South America. Let's not. That is, yeah, we'll just know. So, yeah, um, at least we didn't have a coup. Well, I don't know. Anyway. So I sort of softened my position on that because I, I just sort of like went back and I, w- I was thinking about movies that, that I liked. Mm-hmm. And some of my favorite movies are actually just based on books. Mm-hmm. Um, Drive is based off of a book. The book I love. The movie I love. Silence of the Lambs is based off of a book and I love that movie. Frank is based off of a newspaper article based <laughs> off of a real man. Um, and so on and so forth. So... I guess so here's the the thing so people are always trying to to market the the book was better than the movie thing mm-hmm. I do believe we bought your cousin a t-shirt that said the book was better than the movie yeah for Christmas mm-hmm. which I find to be you know I bounce back and forth between saying I refuse to see any script any movie that's not based off of an original screenplay and um if you're automatically going into a movie saying that the book is going to be better than you're just buying a ticket to a movie you've planned to not enjoy, mm-hmm. which is a waste of time. Um, so where do you sort of land on it? Like, if you're going to see a movie based off of a book, do you want it to try to be as true to the book as possible? Or do you want it to be um, sort of like this was um which isn't it's not a modern day retelling or it's not it's not a depression era retelling it's based off of right meaning that they 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 had a cyclops and they had some sirens Mm -hmm. um i used to be very much of the camp that the book is better than the movie every single time there's no changing my mind um and I'd like to th- say that what sort of changed my mind about that was um, the Harry Potter series. Mm. Um, I'm not saying those movies were definitely not better than the books. I'll just say that. But it got me thinking about how everyone sort of said, oh, in order to make this a true retelling of the book they'd have to make it like a mini series and have it take like 20 years to make and stuff like that and um then that just sort of got me thinking about why would you want to watch the exact same thing you just read kind of thing um so it i think it's more valuable to go into a movie based on a book with sort of an open mind and say yeah i'm going to recognize some things from this book that i read but it would be interesting to see how they sort of morph it into something just a little bit different and then you have like two retellings of or two versions of the story to really enjoy mm-hmm. it's not saying it will be successful every time because there have been tons and tons and tons of awful well there's book bad books and there's bad movies yeah for sure so like there's no guarantee that 
it will either one of them will live up to the quality of the other but that's mm-hmm. not necessarily a bad thing i guess yeah um there was a wonderful argument i heard a long time ago that said um now you should always watch the movie before you read the book mm. um because the movie is always going to be a condensed form of that universe mm-hmm. so if you go from the book to the movie you're going to get a watered down and condensed version of the thing that you love. Whereas if you like, for example, the example that they used was Jurassic Park. Okay. Um, Michael Crichton liked to write a lot of science into his books. And that was all stripped out of the movie. Mm-hmm. The movie was just an adventure. Um, the book has a lot more of his like chaos theory stuff and a lot more like philosophical discussions in it and it moves a lot slower Mm -hmm. and um so you go from uh you know a a rip-roaring hair-raising good time from the movie and then you deepen your experience of that story by reading the book I sort of had a similar experience, though, granted it's not a movie, with eleven twenty two sixty three. Yeah, going from the, the TV yeah, show to the so book. we watched the series first. I think it was like eight episodes, so I guess it would be like a mini-series or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then I went to reading the like 1,400-page book or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really enjoyed both, but I think that I liked the the show just a little bit more Mm -hmm. um and that might just be because they sort of cut out all of the the things from the book that like weren't really adding to the story which is weird to say because he wrote the story so he put in things he thought was relevant but i don't know so i guess i can kind of agree with that but at the same time i always 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 think that i should read the book before i see the movie just because like if i see the movie like when i go back and read the book all i'm going to see is the movie playing out in my head like the characters like i'll see the actors yeah um whereas i prefer to just sort of make my own little movie in my head while i'm reading the book yeah that doesn't happen to me no no like when I read a book, like if I'm if I'm imagining a character, I don't imagine them like fully detailed, mm-hmm. you know? Like in my head, like I just finished reading Sutri. Like I couldn't really tell you what he looks like. Mm-hmm. Like he always changes sort of based on what's happening in the story, what he's reading. Sometimes he looks a little bit older, sometimes he looks younger, sometimes he has gray hair or black hair cuz he he's not really described in the book too much. Right. Um and maybe maybe that's a literature thing versus like a a more like popular fiction thing where in in popular fiction it's like and he had brown eyes like a chestnut and dark hair like a warm summer's night and he had mm-hmm. olive-colored skin. Um but also I I do remember reading Drive and just not imagining Ryan Gosling as the driver. Mm. because the way that he's described and the way that he works is different from how Ryan Gosling does it in Drive. And the love interest is Latina. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't imagine... What's her name? Christina Hendricks. No, the the blonde girl. Oh, I don't remember her name. Yeah. Um. 
Yeah, we so we recently watched the series of unfortunate events together. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Excuse me, and I watched sort of like a little mini behind the scenes interview thing on YouTube. Um, and they were talking to the author, and then they were talking to the director, um, and they sort of said like, yeah, and our Lemony Snicket slash Daniel Handler, he said, when I wrote the book, I didn't focus on Violet's appearance because I didn't want little girls reading the book to base their opinions of themselves on how this character looks, Mm -hmm. which I thought was really cool. Mm -hmm. When it's for kids, I sort of like that idea of not painting a picture for them so that they can imagine the characters, whoever they want to be. I don't know why I brought that up. That's a fair point. Um, In the piece I'm writing now with a girl, I think I've just talked about how her eyes and hair are brown, and she finds herself to be average looking. Hmm. So, like, yeah, I I don't like to even write in character skin colors or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Like, unless it's super important, I, I try to leave them as vague as possible and describe their personalities, and then the reader can decide what they look like for themselves. Because, you know, there there is that idea in literature that the protagonist should sort of be a shell for the readers. Mm-hmm. Which is part of the reason why in American Gods, the main character is just named Shadow. <laughs> Um, but back to this movie. Yes. So the Cohen brothers, you have seen of theirs Fargo, mm-hmm. Hail Caesar, mm-hmm. and this. Yes. Because you haven't seen Barton Fink. Mm-mm. You haven't seen The Man Who Wasn't There. Mm-mm. You haven't seen Burn After Reading Mm-mm. or Intolerable Cruelty. Mm-mm. So you've seen Fargo, Hail Caesar, and this. Yeah. Of the three, what are your favorite? Um, I like Fargo the best, I think. Okay. Um, this would be second, and then I actually kind of really hated Hail Caesar. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and I, I've noticed that, I think I brought this up to you before, that as their career progresses, you can see them focusing less and less on, like, story, mm-hmm. and more just, like, character situations, and yeah. then they try to, like, stitch a plot around it. Yeah, I can see that. Um... Because Hail Caesars, you just follow, like, a a producer around to all the different things he's working on, Mm -hmm. and you just see all of the the problems that he has to face, and you get the little bit of, like, his wife wants him to quit, Mm -hmm. and he's getting a job offer, and at the end of the day, spoilers, he decides he just loves working for film. Um, Essentially, Hail Caesar failed at what La La Land tried to accomplish, or did accomplish, which is a love letter to... Mm-hmm. Because Hail Caesar was a love letter to working in the studio system yep. back in the day. Mm-hmm. And um, La La Land is a love letter to trying to make it back right. in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and seeing as how more people are unsuccessful than successful, um, uh, all of them lazy parasites are going to flock to La La Land rather than the one about the guy who's successful. Yeah. Um. But yeah, like I found that with Burn After Reading too, and and this one, and you can see just if you compare um, Oh Brother Where Art Thou to Fargo, mm-hmm. Fargo has a very cohesive yep. story. It's a very cohesive crime drama, I guess. Mm-hmm. Right? Guy needs money. Guy can't get money the way he wants to, so he hires people to kidnap his wife, and everything goes wrong. Right. Um. 
And within that, there's a thread. There's the cop trying to find out who did it, trying to find the guys, finding the guys. William H. Macy's character dealing with things going wrong. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that, and you get the threat of the kidnappers and, and all of their farcical sort of adventures. And then in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? It's basically like it could have been a TV show. Yeah, because each 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 little like section is is essentially a, a villain of the week style TV show. Yeah, I didn't think about you that. You know, it's yeah, it's true. kind of like like Star Trek or Buffy the Vampire Slayer, where it's just like, well, all right, so we're in this location now. Mm-hmm. Who who are we? Okay, so now it's Sirens, mm-hmm. and then the episode ends, and now it's John Goodman with an eye patch, and episode ends, and now it's the KKK, and the episode ends, mm-hmm. and you get that world building kind of throughout where you see the. The hints of the the people trying to be elected and right. stuff like that, which all and everything sort of culminates around the town where we find out that Everett is actually trying to get back to to try to get back with his wife mm-hmm. and his seven daughters. Wow. Oh. Are you ready for that? Nope. <laughs> Vasectomy after two. Oh. Um, so... What do you think about the sort of like episodic story structure? Um, I think it was well done in this movie because it all still felt very cohesive. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like, um, like none of it. It wasn't like none of it carried over kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, like there were times when I sort of. I think that sort of opened it up more to me being less interested in one little episode of it than the others. Um, Like, I liked the one with the KKK governor, mayor, or whatever. He was... He he was the guy running. Right, yeah. Like, that episode sort of... Maybe it's just because it's so relevant right now. Mm. That episode, like kept me the most interested i didn't really care i wanted to like the one with john goodman but i didn't really care Mm -hmm. about it that much but i love john goodman um and so i don't know i i can take it or leave it as sort of like a story convention but i think that this movie did it pretty well Mm -hmm. i also think that it worked because they said it in the depression era south Mm. which um, America's very young, right. so America doesn't have a lot of a mythology unless you're um, defending your homeland <laughs> from an invading pipeline company right now. Um, we really only have, us us whitey folks, really only have about 200 years of, like, folklore yeah. um, from from the place we've, we've settled, colonized, genocided, and, and now live in. Yay, us. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm just trying to acknowledge the fact that this isn't our land. While, oh, it's definitely while not. while also talking about the the mythology and history that we've developed while colonizing it. Um, because there is something, and and it's probably just because I'm an American, but there is something really like romantic and fanciful about that, like the mythology that we do have. Um, And a lot of it, I feel, takes place in the South, and I think that's because it's the most, like, fantastic, Mm -hmm. Um, because there's, like, swamps and 
stuff. You know, like there's swamps and, and forests and plantations and you get that mix. You get that really big spectrum of like people living in huge plantation houses and, and being all, uh, I do declare, and mm-hmm. oh, I think I'm getting the vapors. And then, you know, in the swamp a couple miles away, you got a dude with two teeth and his like 18 kids with his sister, and he's all, I found, yeah. I found me a snake in the creek over there, and we're going to fry it up real good. Um, and then you have like voodoo and mm-hmm. everything. You have all these different cultures coming in and all of the contentiousness because, you know, the natives have their own sort of religion and and magic that goes along with that and our understandings of that. And then you get all the African cultures that we've brought in. The the South in in the way back Mm -hmm. was the most, I think, interesting just because... It wasn't very developed or settled, and there were so many different kinds of people doing so many different kinds of things, and no one really liked each other. Right. Um, so I really, really like that story, and so I really like the episodic type of thing in the South at that time. Okay. Because you, cause I really like world building. Mm-hmm. You get a lot of the world building. You know, you get the... What are you doing out in these crossroads? Well, I was meeting the devil. <laughs> yeah. What did you sell your soul to the devil for? Oh, he taught me to play guitar real good. You know? And and then you get that, like, well, there's just everyday people. Like, Everett and Delmar and Pete didn't care that Tommy was black. He right. just They picked him up. Mm-hmm. And they said, hey, what you doing? Well, you can play guitar. Cool. Play guitar for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that time, you were, you were getting new types of music you're you're getting blues and jazz starting to happen and i really liked that part of the movie them like pretending to be that band or the soggy bottom boys yeah that was yeah. great that was so funny and i liked the music so mm-hmm. it was cool it was i didn't realize i think i'm that might have been the part where i sort of started to mm-hmm. doze mm-hmm. off a little um but that had nothing to do with the interestingness of the movie. It was just me being tired. Mm-hmm. But um, I didn't realize at first that the record that the radio guy was blind. So I was mm-hmm. like, "What's going on?" And then at the end, they're like, "Oh, only four of us can read. So you're gonna. Yeah. So only four of us can sign. But there's like seven of us or whatever. <laughs> so they got more money. Ulysses and Aloysius just gonna have to sign X's. <laughs> yeah, that was that was good. And then um, them being on stage. I can't remember what were they performing for. Was it a rally for yeah, the... Yeah, it was the rally for the KKK guy. Okay, yeah. That they were at because George Clooney's wife's boyfriend mm-hmm. was the campaign manager for that's that guy. That's right, okay. Yeah, so... That's, that's how they got her to leave him. Yeah, that was that was a great scene, too. There was a lot of visual stuff going on, and then I like that you kept like looking back at them on stage, and they're just having a good time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was great. Yeah. Um. Yeah, the Cohen brothers, uh, their their humor is is pretty pretty good. Mm-hmm. I like I like their humor a lot. Um. Let's see. Oh, we were gonna talk about the color. This yeah. was one of the first movies to have digital color timing. Please explain to me what that means. It was one of the first films mm-hmm. on film where they put it in a computer and did things with the color in post. Oh, cool. 
um, which is how come everything looked really brown, but the sky still looked blue. Mm-hmm. And how come I didn't... Re- watching it now, I was like, oh, this color timing doesn't really hold up. <laughs> really? I thought it looked yeah. cool. Uh, I thought it looked cool the first couple times, too. And then I saw it, and I think it's just because I've been watching so much Refn movies mm. that are so beautifully lit and everything that I was like, oh, like the sky just kind of looked blown out a whole bunch. and It kind of looked like Three Kings, which came out at, um, just before. George mm-hmm. Clooney was working on Three Kings before he went to work for O Brother Where Art Thou, which had a lot of that sort of color timing. Hmm. Um, but it was it was a new thing. Uh, so that, that was noticeable. But yeah, I liked how it started out in black and white, and then they just saturated the colors mm-hmm. as, as the opening happened, um, and then sort of undid it. Um, do you have any other I'll normally ask you why do you think I made you watch this movie but I made you watch this movie because you need to have a, a larger knowledge of the backlog of, of Coen Brothers films Yes, because <laughs> they're important um, do you have anything else to say before we move into trivia about this movie um, any other points you wanted to bring up uh, I'm not I don't know I, I thought this was a pretty solid movie um, I so we've talked about this with other movies before, like, but then again, it's based on the Odyssey, so I don't know how much they could do with it, but I wish there had been more female characters. Mm, yeah, it did suffer from the only woman in the world trope. Yeah, um, but I liked the humor. I liked when, <laughs> I liked when um, at the beginning, the brother-in-law took them in and let them sleep in their barn, and then he sold them out, so mm-hmm. the cops came, started trying to burn down their barn, and then um everett george clooney's character he kept saying oh i already forgot what it was again dang we're in a tight spot yeah he said that like three different times Mm -hmm. like the same tone every single time Mm -hmm. i'm just like is he having a stroke why does he keep saying the same thing (laughs) um and then another like related to that i loved when the the kid came up zooming up in that his dad's truck and mm-hmm. he's like get in and so he drove them off to safety and then they sent him back and they yeah. stole his car and they're like see a kid and he's okay. like oh he said you go back and mind your paw like they were <laughs> mad at him for disobeying his father yeah it was it was good there are a lot of really good moments in this movie um, so but that dang we're in a tight spot that's that's a really good portrayal of george clooney's character yeah. He never gets worked up beyond that. Yeah. Because he wakes up to the sound of the cop saying, we got you surrounded. Who so says, okay, we're in a tight spot. After he wakes up and says, oh, how's my hair? Yeah. So he hears the cop says, oh, we're in a tight spot. And looks outside, sees mm-hmm. that they are actually surrounded, says we're in a tight spot. And then they like throw a torch and he says, oh, we're in a tight spot. <laughs> yeah. So, but like, so he never gets worked up beyond that. And, and the sort of the point of, if you haven't seen the movie, you should. But if if you haven't seen it, the the sort of point is that he's a lot smarter than than Pete and Delmar. Yeah, definitely. Um, and he's got the gift of gab. He's very verbose, and so he's you know he in this movie he maybe this is weird, but he really reminded me of Mr. Fox in this movie. Oh yeah. I mean, I obviously there he voices mm-hmm. Mr. Fox, but like. The delivery and sort of the personality sort of reminded me yeah. of that, too. Yeah, that's sort of, like, charismatic, yeah. yet, or arrogant yet charismatic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right, let's move into trivia. Alrighty. My darling. Yes. References to Homer's Odyssey. One, the name of George Clooney and Holly Hunter's characters, Ulysses and Penelope, are the same. 
One-eyed Big Dan is the Cyclops, blinded with a burning pole. The three girls by the river as the sirens. Ulysses' wife marrying someone else when he comes home. The old man disguise. Mm. The changing of one of Ulysses' companions into an animal. Oh, yeah, they he thought he turned, was a frog. He gets turned into a toad. The Baptist made people become loyal to God when they were baptized, as the lotus eaters in the Odyssey became loyal to the people of the island when they ate the lotus flowers. Um, the Ku Klux Klan has a rank of grand or exalted cyclops. And there's a cyclops. Okay. The KKK's got a lot of weird rankings. They got like Grand Wizard and like Supreme Dragon and an Exalted Cyclops. Like white people are crazy. It's hard to take those people seriously. It really is. Um, they catch a ride on a railway handcart that is being operated by a blind prophet who tells them that they will not find the treasure they seek. The prophet character in the Odyssey was a Greek name whom <laughs> Odysseus consulted in the underworld when he needed information on how to get home again the movie theater scene as the trip through the underworld odysseus nearly drowned but clings to a piece of wood odysseus and everett both reveal themselves by performing an act no one else could odysseus strings a special bow and fires it through seven rings everett sings man of constant sorrow as only the leader of the soggy bottom boys can <laughs> pappy's given name Menelaus is the same as the king who declared war on Troy in the first place. The Latin equivalent of the Greek name Odysseus is Ulysses. Mm -hmm. Sing in me, O Muse. The line at the beginning of the film is the first line of the Odyssey. The killing of the cattle of Helios by the fools in the Odyssey is mirrored by Babyface Nelson shooting the cows. I hated that scene so much. Oh my god, you got real upset. (laughs) I hated it. Oh my god. I've never seen you so distraught by a movie that wasn't just like gore. Like you, you became like angry <laughs> every time Ulysses falls asleep. Something bad happens. <laughs> Ugh. The song which plays throughout the movie is called "Man of Constant Sorrow." Odysseus means man who is in constant pain and sorrow. Pappy's opponent for governor is named Homer. Ulysses first meets Big Dan at the restaurant. There's a statue of Homer in the background. There's a blind bard who pays the boys to sing into his can. Homer was often and probably erroneously thought to be a blind bard who told the stories verbally to his students. Much of the KK or much like the KKK scene, Odysseus and his men hide from the Cyclops by dressing as sheep. Um, they just dressed as KKK people in the movie, <laughs> which. Bah. <laughs> Everett's risk of finding one little thing in the middle of all that water is an impossible deed, not unlike Odysseus's final task of carrying an oar to a land that knows nothing of the sea. Mm-hmm. On many occasions, Everett denies the existence of God, and sometimes he even insults God. Odysseus insulting gods was the reason for all the obstacles in his journey. A visual connection to the Odyssey appears during the evening following Babyface Nelson's third bank robbery when Ulysses is seen sitting on a destroyed Greek column, the bottom of which is still upright beside him. Hmm. Yeah, so that's good. All right, next. <laughs> that was a long piece of trivia. That was all one? Holy cow. Yeah, it was all just right. bullet points. Oh. 
Gotcha. Um, the film's soundtrack became an unlikely blockbuster, even surpassing the success of the film. By early 2001, it had sold 5 million copies, spawned a documentary film, three follow-up albums, Oh Sister and Oh Sister 2, two concert tours, and won Country Music Awards for Album of the Year and Single of the Year for Man of Constant Sorrow. It also won five Grammys, including Album of the Year and hit number one on the Billboard album charts the week of March 15, 2002, 63 weeks after its release and over a year after the re- release of the film. Wow. So I don't think you were alone in liking the music in no, this movie, No, I guess Katie. not. <laughs> George Clooney practiced his singing for weeks, but in the end, his singing voice was dubbed by country blues singer Dan Tominski. George Clooney agreed to do this film without even reading the script. The Coen brothers visited him in Phoenix while he was making Three Kings, wanting to work with him, and after seeing his performance in Out of Sight. Moments after they put their script on George's hotel room table, the actor said, Great, I'm in. He stated that he even liked the Coen's least successful films. <laughs> um, that's how Bill Murray ended up being the voice of Garfield in those Garfield movies. Oh, really? I think the person who wrote it, his last name is Cohen because the media is controlled by the Jews. Oh my god. <laughs> um, and so he just saw Cohen and, and said, cool, I'll do it. <laughs> okay. George Clooney, upon reading the script, did not immediately understand his character and so sent the script to his uncle Jack, a tobacco farmer who lived in Kentucky, and asked him to read the entire script into a tape recorder. Unknown to Clooney in his recording, Jack, a devout Baptist, omitted all the instances of the words damn and hell from the Cohen script, (laughs) which only became known to Clooney after the directors pointed this out to him in the middle of shooting. Jack had never been on a plane before flying in for the premiere. (laughs) Oh, so Jack got to go to the premiere. That's nice. That's nice. Thanks, George. (laughs) The Prisoner's musical chant from the beginning of the movie was actually an old recording of an actual chain gang. Oh, wow. Song Man of Constant Sorrow was published in 1913 by blind Richard Burnett. Although Homer is given a co-writing credit on the film. <laughs> Joel, oh, really? <laughs> Joel and Ethan Cohen claim to never have read The Odyssey and are familiar with it only through cultural osmosis and film adaptations. Hmm. Um, I watched a Charlie Rose interview with the two brothers and the three main actors. Mm-hmm. And the only one who had read the... Um, book was tim blake nelson who played delmar oh really yep huh isn't it required reading for them in school not back then i'm sure <laughs> they had other things to do those actor types they don't go to real school so they get homeschooled and go to weird <laughs> things the whole film was graded digitally on computer the negative was scanned in with spirit data scene at 2k resolution and then colors were digitally fine-tuned process took several weeks the resulting digital master was output on film again with a kodak laser recorder to create a print master it was the first time this had been done for a whole film in hollywood but not in other countries wow mm-hmm. it's pretty cool yeah i can't remember what documentary i saw that talked about it but there is there is one it exists go <laughs> okay. find it i think it was the documentary and i can't remember what it was called but it was the documentary about film versus digital Oh, okay. And so you had directors just bitching about digital. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. The historical babyface Nelson was a homicidal gangster named Lester M. Gillis, who was known for its hot temper and itchy trigger finger. I didn't he know was he was shot, real. He was shot to death by the FBI in Illinois in November of 1934, three years before the setting of this film. 
Tim Blake Nelson's actual singing voice is heard in the jailhouse now. <laughs> At the end, Everett's line, finding one little ring in the middle of all that water is one hell of a heroic task. As a reference to the legend of Theseus, who had to find a golden ring at the bottom of the ocean to prove he was the son of Poseidon. Um, the American Humane Association, an organization that protects animal rights, mistook a computer-generated cow in the movie for a real animal and <laughs> demanded proof before they would allow the use of their famous disclaimer, no animals were harmed in the making of this motion picture, after seeing a demonstration at Digital domain of how the cow was created, the Humane Association added the now familiar, but then much rarer, scenes which may appear to place an animal in jeopardy were simulated. Hmm. I did not see that, but I knew they wouldn't actually hurt a cow. But that scene, I swear, <sighs> I was going to write an angry letter or something. <laughs> <laughs> going to write up Joel and Ethan Cohen. Yeah. The, chance, or the character of Tommy Johnson is based on a famed blues guitarist by the same name who, according to folk legend, sold his soul to the devil at the crossroads in exchange for his prodigious talent. Robert Johnson, another bluesman, says bluesman, um, and a contemporary of Tommy's, but no relation, borrowed the legend and wrote a song about it, and the, and the so... And so the soul-selling legend was subsequently wrongly attributed to Robert Johnson. Um doop doop boop boo doo doop boop boo doo doop Oh yeah. In the montage sequence we see Everett, Pete, and Delmar pass two African American boys on a country road. Both the boys are carrying large blocks of ice. This appears to be a visual reference to the famous work progress administration photograph by Eudora Welty. Mm-hmm. Um there's a lot of stuff about the soundtrack. <laughs> Because it did better than the movie, apparently. Really? The song You Are My Sunshine, used as Governor Pappy O'Daniel's theme song, was the theme song of Louisiana's singing governor, Jimmy Davis. It was made one of Louisiana's official state songs in 1977. Aw, that's cute. Can I talk about how I just like don't like that song at all? Really? Yeah. Oh, I love like, it. Like, I can't... That was like the weirdest thing about watching that movie for the first time for me was was listening to that song and saying people actually sung this song like because they liked it. I love that song. Like like people listened to this song. Like there's a time when there were so few songs in the world that people listened to that by choice. Because the only time I've ever ever heard that song sung was when I was at an old folks home and singing it myself to the old people. During church things. I mean, like, parents sing it to their children as, like, a lullaby kind of thing. Yeah, which always made me feel really uncomfortable whenever anyone would sing the song to me. Why? I don't know. I just didn't like it. Um... Oh, let's see. Director Trademark, Fricassee. Dan Teague tells Everett thanks for the fricassee in the picnic scene under the tree. Joel Cohen and Ethan Cohen also included this dish in Fargo when Maggie and Norm are eating in a restaurant and another cop asks her, how's the fricassee? <laughs> John Torturo told Tim Blake Nelson on set, look the way it works with their movies. Look, the way it works with their movies and I've been doing it. I'm going to try that again. Look, the way it works in their movies 
and I've been in enough of them to consider myself an authority, is that you take the script and the movie is going to be two times better than the script. And the script is a classic. Tim, we're going to be part of a classic. <laughs> um, so another, another trivia piece, how no one had read The Odyssey. Uh, according to Joel Cohen, there was a snake catcher on set. We hired this guy and he came to the set with a golf club and what he would do is he would look around for snakes. If he saw one, he would rope it with would rope it with the golf club and put it in his bag. I asked him what you called someone with this profession and he said an idiot. Um, an MTV video was made for the song Man of Constant Sorrow using clips from the film. About halfway through is the scene of Ulysses and his friends performing the Pappy O'Daniel and the line, Hot Damn! It's the Soggy Bottom Boys. is redubbed as Hot Dog. It's the Soggy Bottom Boys. Because <laughs> Hot Damn is too edgy for MTV in wow. 2001. The three grave diggers were from the gospel group, the Fairfield Four. However, the four in the name doesn't refer to the number of members, but to the number of vocal parts in the song. Hmm. Oh, yeah. When the Soggy Bottom Boys are recording Man of Constant Sorrows, Pete and Delmar sing a phrase echoing the last line in each verse, but somehow manage to sing three vocal parts in between the two of them. Did you notice that? <laughs> no, How that I was didn't. like definitely a three part harmony? <laughs> no, I did not. Tim Blake Nelson was Joel Cohen's neighbor. Joel really hadn't seen him act in anything. When the Cohen sent him the script, he thought they were asking his advice as a former classics major. Uh huh. <laughs> Uh, George Clooney based his dance on clog dancers he saw growing up in Kentucky. It's sort of like Lord of the Dance. None of their upper body moves and their legs are going nuts. <laughs> you remember that when he was doing yeah, the weird, like... Yeah, that was like, funny. That <laughs> was great. Um, John Turturro called this movie a hillbilly musical comedy adventure. It's pretty accurate. Mm-hmm. Oh, Joel Cohen said that this movie is a Three Stooges movie in a lot of ways. Because everyone's kind of dumb, mm-hmm. but there's one that's kind of smarter than the other ones. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah, there's a whole bunch. At the KKK rally, the chant is reminiscent of the chant used by the witches, soldiers, and the Wizard of Oz. Also, when the three main characters ambush clan members and don their capes and hoods, it's reminiscent of the lion, tin man, and scarecrow dressing in the soldiers' uniforms in order to gain the entrance to the castle. (laughs) Yeah, so it quotes, uh, repeated line, damn, we're in a tight spot. (laughs) Who elected you leader of this outfit? Well, Pete. I figured it should be the one with the capacity for abstract thought. But if that ain't the consensus view, then hell, we'll put it to a vote. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So I guess it's now time for the... uh, The survey. Okay. So, Katie. Yes. Of all of them characters, which one do you think would uh, help you out of a jam? The kid. The kid. Really? He helped them out of a jam. I guess he did, but I don't know, man. I wouldn't trust that kid as far as I could throw him. He just, he seemed, I mean, he, he like, 
Like, granted, his pa sold out his can, but he sold out his pa. Like, I don't know. There's nothing he could sell me out for, so I think he would just help me. <laughs> okay. Um, if you were stuck in the South, because mm-hmm. it's basically a deserted island. Yep. What what three items from this uh, film would you want to have with you? Um, I would want to have the little hand cart on the railroad track. Mm. Yep. You could get me out of there. Um, I'd want to have uh, the guitar. Mm. I'd teach myself how to play it because mm-hmm. I don't know how. That would just keep me entertained. And I'd want to have some of his uh, hair gel. Mm. Some Dapper Dan. Yeah. Yeah. Can we talk about those little hand carts on the railroads? Yeah. Because there, uh, there was a train in front of him, mm-hmm. right? And then he was going behind it. <laughs> like, what if you're on that and there's a train? I guess you hop off or you get hit. I mean, like, obviously you'd have to hop off. But, like, how do you know that there's not going to be a train coming? I don't think you really know until you feel the track shaking underneath Yeah, it. but... So, it, if you got to jump off, mm-hmm. are you just screwed? Maybe. And what are those little hand carts for? Are they for, like... I think it's for repairing the track, isn't Yeah. It? So, but, like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, the, the logistics of, of railroad maintenance, I guess, is just confusing <laughs> to me. Well, because I know tracks, like, split at some point. Yeah. So I guess you would take the split that you know the train won't be on? But how are you? Because maybe if you're one of the maintenance people for the track, you would know the train schedule. How do you know if a train comes? <laughs> oh, that's great. I right? love it. Oh, oh no. Okay. I guess really that's the only thing that really bugs me about the movie is like, I don't know. I'm just worried about that blind man. <laughs> Doing railway maintenance. He seemed to be doing okay to me. I guess so. Uh, and no one helped him. No one got on the other end. Nope. They all just sat there. Are you about to fall asleep during the I don't know what's going on. I think we should end the show. Do you got anything else to say? Uh, good movie, go watch it. Good movie, go watch it. Katie Balecki, 2017. Yes. What's, what's next week? Well, I'm taking a bit of a uh, departure from my trend of showing you coming-of-age stories and movies for children. Uh, We are going to watch Prisoners. Prisoners. Directed by Dennis Villanueva, who directed Arrival. Isn't it Villanueva? Villanueva. I thought it was Villanueva. That's how I heard it said a whole bunch. Anyway, does it, I don't think it matters, but that's the movie we're watching. Prisoners, huh? Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think if I've seen it. Let me let me just look, just in case. I've asked you if you've seen it, and you said no. Okay, well, I trust myself, but hold on. It's got uh, it's got Mark Wahlberg. It's got Prison Break. No, Prisoners, and it's got um. Huge Ackman. Yep, and it's got Jake Gyllenhaal. Yep. Oh, maybe it's not. What's his face then? Um, and it's got uh, Paul Dano, and it's got uh, good people in it. It's got Dylan Minnette, mm-hmm. Zoe Soul, mm-hmm. Kyla Drew. Have you seen this movie or not? Um, I don't think so. Wow, it's a long movie, too. Mm-hmm. It's two hours and 33 minutes. Mm-hmm. Wow. 
Anyway, so I feel like you've sort of taken some of the excitement out of this little segment. Well, I was trying to see if I had seen the movie or not. I'm sure I probably haven't. So thanks for thanks for doing the show. Yeah, thank you. Um, so until next time, I assume we don't have any email. Nope. Okay, I assume you would have told me. Yep. Uh, you can you can find the show on iTunes or noisemakerjoe.com slash sharing everything mm-hmm. or anywhere good podcasts are found. You can email the show at sharingeverythingshow at gmail.com with your feedback or suggestions. And um, our PayPal account is on the same email address and you can just send us money. <laughs> Until next time, keep loving, keep talking, and keep sharing. Wow, great job. <laughs> Bye now. Bye.